welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. Tom and I are back. Tom, how are you? How was your Halloween? Halloween was unfortunately a little uneventful this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. You're in an apartment and everything, so no no trick-or-treaters, uh, no parties, obviously. Jack and I just joined uh, some folks that cut, carved some pumpkins, uh, ate some candy, ate some pizza, uh, watch some movies that that it was still a good night but a little less uh exciting than usual no costumes in this case it was kind right of, yeah kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah no one in my family we didn't uh, we obviously didn't go anywhere we did decorate the house yeah. uh, no costumes for any of us either we did set up a uh set up kind of like a queue so people had you know one way up to a table with a uh, candy on it yep. and a one way out yep. to try to kind of and we would hope to, we had signs that saying, you know, wait here for the monster ahead of you to move and, or whatever and everything. But, you know, not all that. No one paid much attention to that. So I think we had like one group that actually did, you know, wait their turn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but anyway, but we le- still at least controlled the flow. And then we were all just behind on the other side of the table, just feeding the table. We had uh, pre-wrapped candy. We had like three pieces of candy all wrapped up with like just saran wrap yeah. or cling wrap. Yeah. And everyone got, came and just took one and off they went. And we still managed to uh, get 164 trick-or-treaters. That's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, which is light for us. <laughs> we kind of go for anything from like 175 to two and a quarter depending on the year. Wow. But still impressive. We didn't know what to expect, but uh, yeah, we still had a really good turnout. And my God, the night, this had to have been the best night for Halloween that we've had in years. Oh, man. Well, at least then you had a good time. Yeah, well, especially since we all had to hang outside mining the store, so as it were. Yep. Uh, so it was really nice that the temperature was pleasant. It wasn't raining, which is usually what it's been doing on Halloween. It's been raining for the past, I think, almost five years. It's had rain or at least wet ground. So, no, this was this was great. It turned out really well. I was really happy with the, with the way everything looked. So, yeah, I, I may kind of just keep doing this kind of thing every year because it worked really well. No, that's all. I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm going to wrap the candies if I don't have to, because that was a, an entire night of really monotonous <laughs> work. Yeah. You know, well, I'm glad you had a good time of it, but yeah, no, it, it just, it, it hurt to my core. Yes. It was even nice here. Um, but we didn't get to do the trick or treating because a uh, Maryland's on the rise anyway. So we didn't want to mm-hmm. chance it. Um, 
And on top of it, it's a Saturday. It was Halloween yeah. on a Saturday. And with a full moon. With a full moon, and we didn't get to take full advantage of it. And like, this is kind of sad. And the end of daylight savings here in the Yeah, you picked up US. an extra hour. <laughs> still had fun. We had a good time. We still ended up with a lot of candy left over. But, you know, I buy smartly and only buy stuff I know we like. <laughs> So anything left over. <laughs> That's totally how you have to do that. But we had an entire month of, of a good time, I, I think. Absolutely. You and I, we took it upon ourselves to watch a film every night for the month of Halloween, or the month of October, so the 31 nights of Halloween. So we thought we'd get together and actually go through what we watched and talk about anything that we wanted to bring up from the films that we had selected. It was quite the mismatch of films. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, but it was a good ride and, and, and well worth us taking the pause so that we could dedicate ourselves to watching all of these. Um, I have to admit, after we made it through the list and we got to November 1, as much as I was thankful to kind of be through it, that Sunday night I, I, I was sitting there going, Huh, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, I don't have an assignment. I know. <laughs> no. I can watch anything? <laughs> Wait, there's no list? What? <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt a little bit that myself. Yeah, that November 1st was just kind of like, okay, and what am I? Oh, no, I, I, I can watch anything I want. Mm. I don't know if I want to watch anything. (laughs) And and, yeah, it's like, and what is that that I want to watch? (laughs) The funny thing is I continued on with a horror. Yeah, I think I probably did the same thing. And I've got more that I want to watch because I picked up uh, I picked up the Paul Nashy collection Blu-rays, the two volume collection that was uh, from Shout Factory. They had a 50 percent off sale. Yes. And I was like, these things were these things are normally 60 bucks a shot and I was able to get them both for $60. So I'm like, I'm not going to pass up on this. So I got those. And so I had the, that was really annoying. The whole last week of October, they're sitting there. I'm like, I can't touch them because I have to watch all these other films. Don't have time. (laughs) So I will be, uh, I will be definitely diving into those through, uh, throughout November. Cause I definitely want to check out the commentaries. Rod Barnett and um, Troy Gwynn from over on the Nashi cast did a couple commentaries. So I got to go and list, you know, watch the film and then and watch their commentaries or listen to their commentaries yeah. to see, see how well they did and you know, give them hell if I think they did terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not familiar with that, that, that particular grouping. So what, what kind of films are in this? Paul Nashi, it's all a Spanish horror film. Okay. All starring, uh, many of them probably directing, directed by Paul Nashi, and or at least starring Paul Nashi, who was just a, a, a prolific uh, actor and director uh, through uh, Spanish horror through the, I don't, I mean, Rod and Troy are the real experts here. Uh, through the, I'm going to say the 70s and definitely through the, throughout the 70s, maybe going into the 60s and, and the 80s. I, I don't, don't quote me on all that. They, took it upon themselves to actually do a podcast dedicated to the films of Paul Nashie. Oh, wow. And which garnered them quite a bit of uh, acknowledgement from 
people in in the fandom, including some people like Shout Factory, that actually invited them to do a commentary for several of the films That's when they nice. put them the Blu-ray. That's awesome. So yeah, if you're a fan of kind of like the European horror, which is definitely a very different style of horror than the U.S., you know, especially going through when you're going back into the '60s and '70s, uh, definitely worth checking out some of the films. I'm not going to say I like all the ones that I've seen, right. but they've all been fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of these films. I think a, a few of them that I saw that I went, well, it's okay, were muddy copies that came from who knows what source that maybe I found online or someone, or I had some DVD bought from questionable sources. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really excited to watch some of these films like in, like in a legitimate transfer, cleaned up and on Blu-ray. And I think that's going to change my opinion on some of the films too. Cool. Yeah, no, uh, you, yeah. you'll have to find an opportunity to share what you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll absolutely. Especially if I hit on any of that. It's like, oh my God, Tom's got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait, especially given uh, what we just went through in this, these 31 <laughs> days and some of the stuff that made our list. <laughs> yes. So like I said, we had a, a real uh, mixed bag of films, you know, Going back to, I think the oldest film we watched was probably 1960s. Did we get anything into the 50s? I don't think we anything. I'm scrolling through our list here real quick. but I think 63 is the earliest uh, in this particular. Oh, 61. I see a 1961. So 1961 was the earliest that earliest film that we that we watched this time through, or, or this group of films this year. Yep. It was interesting doing it with a list. It was kind of nice having the list yes. because it was a little quicker of going, okay, I think I'll watch this one tonight. It only took me like five minutes to decide which one I was going to watch and then dial it up and watch it. Whereas last year, I was kind of pulling up like Prime or or one of the other streaming services and then, okay, do I want to watch this one? Well, that sounds interesting. It took me a half an hour, <laughs> 45 minutes to finally decide on what I was going to watch. So it was kind of nice having a list, although I... I did miss kind of the randomness of last year. You know, kind of when you sat down, you didn't know what you were going to get yourself into. Right. I think it's probably the list is better, but if you have more time, I, I would suggest doing the random. If you have more time in your evening. My evenings, unfortunately, don't kind of start until 8 or 9 o'clock, so I kind of need to have that decision made before I sit down. No, I kind of... I, I get that, and I could see the... Uh, the the joy of the uh, the spontaneity of finding the uh, the the gem or or even going the groaner <laughs> yes but uh, yeah it was uh, it was nice working from the list and it was fun to just kind of without knowing everything about what we were getting ourselves into on some of them like earlier in the month it was easy you had this treasure trove of things that you could pick from. And then as it starts to whittle down, you're starting to go, do I roll a dice? Am I going to like this one? <laughs> <laughs> what if, I think what really helped with this list, too, is we did throw it out onto the on the Facebook group asking for some suggestions of what we should watch. That we, we had a handful. I think we had about half the month full. Yes. And we were looking for some suggestions to fill in the rest of the days. And we did get some great suggestions. And... So that was kind of fun, too, because these are films, a couple of them were films that 
I'd never heard of, didn't know anything about. So I was like happily to put them onto the list. And whether we enjoyed them or not, you know, we'll get to. <laughs> That's why we do this. This is why I love film. Whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in between, uh, it's just that somebody had enough passion and drive to get try to get their vision onto the screen and you can't help but at least appreciate that absolutely exactly so should we start going through the list here a little bit i absolutely think we should dive in all right cool yeah i this is a no order this is not in any order that we watch the films because we both did a kind of very random we had a list and we both randomly just went through and watched them on different days, except for the one day we actually managed to we, hit on the same film. Yeah, we and that was completely random. And early on, when there was a, a when we had the full breadth like of the list, of night from. night three or something like that, I think. <laughs> yeah. So this is just a random list from the 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 order that we compiled. That we ended up compiling the list and everything. The first one that started out with is a film that I had always heard about. And then finally was picked up some DVD at some like used book and movie store or something like that several years ago and watched it. And I was actually surprisingly impressed with how much it kind of gave me the shivers when I watched it. And it's The Legend of Boggy Creek from 1972. <laughs> Here in this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. drama about a Sasquatch-type creature that terrorized the small town of Falk, Arkansas for several years. Many of the persons who claim to have experienced these events actually play themselves in the film. Now, we watched the uh, remastered, cleaned-up, mm-hmm. shown-in-widescreen edition that is was recently done and released, I think, just last year. I paid money and to it, watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, We watched it. It was remastered. It was available on uh, on Google it's actually on Amazon as well. 
Yeah, not Prime, so you do have to pay for it. Yeah, no, it wasn't free, but it was available to watch. Okay, yeah, excellent. So this was the remastered, so this was the first time I'd watch it kind of like as it was intended, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. I actually found myself kind of missing the muddy copy. (laughs) I I could see that. This is definitely a film where seeing too much is, you know, a detractor because it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a man in a suit. (laughs) That's a bad gorilla suit. (laughs) It really is a bad gorilla suit. But but see, uh, even in the, the bad gorilla suit portions of it, I was watching this in the same vein that you watch that old TV series in search of. It's the idea that this is you're getting the reenactment. Mm, that's true. They're, they're not suggesting okay. that they have caught the actual creature on film. And, and because the way they're de- dealing with it is a docudrama, they are pretty much flat out saying we're, we're, we're giving you the stories as we know them. But they didn't actually capture anything. In fact, they were very clear. There's no photographs that people have gotten. So it's not that standard blurry uh, Bigfoot photo right. near the log, the, the famous right, one. Yeah, yeah. So I took it in that light that, yes, the, the guy's suit is terrible. <laughs> but it's not supposed to necessarily be great. It's not actually the creature. It's just the representation of the creature. That's a great way to look at it and a great analogy. I loved In Search Of. I actually have the entire series of In Search Of on DVD. That's awesome. And I I plug them in and and watch them every now and again because I grew up on that stuff and found it fascinating. And yeah, this film definitely falls right into that same feel. I hadn't made that connection until you said that, but you're absolutely right. There are moments in this where you're watching where they ramp up some tension to where you're kind of sitting there kind of wishing, like, do I want to pull a blanket up over my head? <laughs> you know, <laughs> hide behind a pillow. The, uh, the, when the, the thing is supposedly terrorizing the, the, like, the, the, what are they, the high school girls mm-hmm. in the, in the trailer. I mean, there's moments where you're like, you know, you got chills going down your spine. Really well done. That one wasn't bad. And I, I, I'll admit, uh, uh, God, I, I could totally skip all the part where they did all the folk music and we watched yes, the kid yes. paddle his way through and go talk to the old geezer who, who lives in the shack by the on the bog. <laughs> I'm like, okay, somehow we've slipped into Grizzly Adams here. And then, then it got out of it. And then you go into that terrible almost 70s porn like quality at the last 20 minutes but there's an actual legitimate horror movie in the last 20 minutes as they're going over where where the creature has uh he, he's he's done and he wants something and he is terrorizing this house to the point where he actually pulls a kid through the window and <laughs> you're like holy crap <laughs> yeah. I'm like how did this docudrama all of a sudden become actually exciting yep see it's right i think this the film i think it gets a lot of stick for being a this horrible movie and everything and it i don't think it's i don't think it's deserved i think it accomplishes what it's meant to and it i think it does it really well i will go as far as to say if you're the kind of person 
that really kind of dug the Blair Witch Project when it came out. This is the 1972 Sasquatch version of that. My absolute favorite moment of the film. You talk about the the old hermit that lives out in the swamp or whatever. He's described as a guy who once shot off a part of his foot in a boating accident. <laughs> and they just let that drop. <laughs> oh like, really? Really? You're not going to... You're not going to, you're going to. If I didn't have to rent that that again, I'd have to go back just to catch that. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I think, just brilliant. Love it. That's awesome. But I think because we have the, uh, such an immense list. Unless you need to move on. Let's move on. So the next one in our list, uh, we did a movie called Curse of the Fly from 1965. I have no idea how to say his last name. Henry Delombre. Delombre, thank you. Henry Delombre. His sons, Martin and Albert, continue to continue the family tradition of experimenting in teleportation. Their own hubris, especially Henry's, is still the fly in the ointment that brings them out (laughs) their undoing. I can't believe you wrote that. So tell me how... Pardon pardon the pun. (laughs) For me, there's a position in my life in which the fly and the fly movies, all of them, all sit in a special kind of place. So tell me what you thought of this one. I really like this film. I think this was from, I just sort of, um, I didn't know it existed until I kind of until like maybe three years ago i didn't even know this that one and i I, of the since i've seen fly movies i didn't even know this was a thing yeah exactly Uh, i knew about the fly of course with you know know, vincent price Mm -hmm. and you know help me Mm -hmm. that one everyone knows that one and then there's the the fly the return of the fly or something like that which was a sequel which i I didn't care for all that much. Right. It it really became like a silly fifties monster with a big heads thing. Yeah, there might be there might be some elements to that film that are decent, but I, overall, I didn't care I, for it. I know I've seen it. I can't remember a lick of it. Yeah, this one I had never heard of, and it I don't know I don't know how I stumbled across the, the fact that it existed. But once I found out, I was like, okay, I have to find this thing. So I tracked it it down and i was really impressed with this one i mean the story i think plays fast and loose with the uh, timeline and the genealogy of the first two films but i think where the first film kind of drew a line in the sand this film just kicks the kicks the sand and walks right on through it Mm -hmm. uh where that first film they you have those little hints you know where he tries to like send the cat through and it disappears on where is it you know those sorts of things that's sort of in its own way kind of glossed over. Mm-hmm. This film is like, no, we're going to send two uh, people through and they're going to be, you, you actually see them appear as like a big giant pulsating mass of flesh. I'm like, wow, this is 1965. That is dark and disturbing. <laughs> it really was. And, and the whole notion that because this family has been experimenting for so long, with this, sending themselves through, um, suffering ill effects of it, um, and that they just carry on. I mean, uh, 
the the man's wife, a former wife, is scarred for life. He himself uh, suffers from a degenerative condition that if he doesn't medicate immediately, he'll he'll die. Um, his father, who has gone through so many times uh, that uh, he his body is twisted in various spots. I mean, this took the notion that you know. Uh, they know it's not perfect, but they're going to railroad their entire family through this till they get it right. And they got it right enough that they are literally uh, crossing uh, the Atlantic. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they are going from the U.S. to Europe. <laughs> so they have this down. I think it was just U.S. to Canada. Was it? I thought they were in I Eng- think it was just... I thought it was, they were in maybe, England. Maybe it was London to Canada. I don't remember. It might be something like that. But the, the point is, they have it down that they are actually traversing the lengths that they are actually interested in this becoming a thing for. But because it's still not 100%, and the lengths that they'll go to to hide what it is that they're doing, it just the whole movie had a whole chilling effect the, the entire way through. But it had the... It had the most uh, bizarre beginning and ending. (laughs) (laughs) The beginning, for sure. When you first start this movie, I'm like, is this the right movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As the the woman is uh, terror-assing across fields in just her underwear. (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, the ending, though, I think is a... It's another where I think this film just shines is... You know, the one son who has just been driven to the point of, yeah, he, he wants out. This this is his father's big thing. It's not his. He wants to, he wants out because he wants a life. And he ends up, <laughs> I don't want to give up the whole way. People need to go and get this. But I think it's a fantastic ending. And it's almost sort of a, uh, it's a Twilight Zone type of yes. ending. Oh, very much so. The one thing that sticks with me is uh, because of that beginning where the the woman is running around in her underwear, um, and and there's a point to it because she's essentially been in an asylum for a period of time. Whether she's actually crazy or not is suspect, but it was an element that kind of didn't go anywhere. Yeah, a little bit. Just because she... mm, it sounded like she came from a traumatic background and was actually kind of evolving out of it. But because she's been in this uh, asylum so long, um, they they wanted that to be a part of it, I guess, so that I, I don't know. Maybe she's constantly questioning what she's experiencing in their home. But yeah, I think they needed they needed that just so they could. Um... Oh no, honey! You were you were just you just had a dream. Here, take this pill. Take a nap. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. If you guys didn't know this film existed, I absolutely would recommend uh, seeking it out. 100%. You, you can find it. I think you you, you can find it uh, online. It. I think it's on YouTube. Whether it really should be or not, I'm not sure. But I think you can find it on YouTube. It, it does poke fun at itself a little bit because uh, they managed to get the help me in there. Yes, oh, absolutely. I couldn't help but laugh out loud when, and it was like a completely legitimate scene, but they managed to get help me in there. And like, oh, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next film. 
and this is a film that I, I always love watching. This is probably my favorite like ghost story movie. We watched 1963's The Haunting. Dr. Mark Way, doing research to prove to prove the existence of ghosts, investigates Hill House, a large eerie mansion with a lurid history of violent death and insanity. With him are the skeptical young Luke, who stands to inherit the house, the mysterious and clairvoyant Theodora, and the insecure Eleanor, whose psychic abilities make her feel somehow attuned to whatever spirits inhabit the old mansion. As time goes by, it becomes obvious that they have gotten more than they bargained for as the ghostly presence in the house manifests itself. I think this is just an amazing example of how showing less is more. Mm -hmm. With just a few simple visuals, uh, camera angles, and noises, you can come up with a truly scary movie. Uh, The movie's well acted, uh, but the biggest and most dominant character is the house itself. I mean, Robert Wise is the director. He shoots it as if it were the real threat, you know, the villain of the piece. It's overwhelming and dominating over the events. There's so many scenes where the camera angles just right, so it looks like you feel like that house is leaning down on you. Mm-hmm. It gives you a very uncomfortable, you know, cold feel. Well, and right down to like movies from this era have a tendency uh, because because they're focused on either the actors or or what story there might be, good or bad. Um, the settings tend to be a little more sparse, and this house is decked out from floor to ceiling. There is no po- part of this that is... I almost dare you to find a blank wall where there's paint. Uh, like, every inch of this thing, it, it it's almost... Since this is a character and this is a demon, this house is a living threat. The fact that every inch of it is coated with something, pictures, armor, statues, whatever, it has, I couldn't help but get the feeling of like scales on a, on some sort of serpent mm-hmm. or something. The, the idea that this thing has a skin, that, that it's armored, uh, and that it's after you, <laughs> and I'll admit, uh, I, I and I fell in love with this. This was the first time I had ever seen this. Um, that that actually surprised me when you mentioned that. Yeah, it's just something I've missed. Um, it didn't come up before. And interestingly, um, of all things, when it came out on Netflix, I caught the haunting of Hill House, the series. Mm, okay, um, which I've, is actually a pretty solid series. And draws a lot of, I I mean, I know it's a story anyway, but uh, um, the elements that were in this movie, that series pulled a lot from the visuals, um, um, like the the spiral staircase in in the library. That is a thing in, in their series as well. I loved it. I mean, it was beautiful. It was well shot. I mean, and that whole notion of less is more. It was all about the and that woman. Uh, what was the actress's name that played uh, Theodora? Uh, Claire Bloom. Claire Bloom. I mean, uh, she is absolutely amazing in it. I mean, yeah, you can feel her tor- being tormented constantly. 
Uh, oh, you're talking about um, Eleanor. That Julie Harris played Eleanor. Oh, she was sorry. the Julie Harris. Yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. I get in the two mixed up. But uh, yes, no, she is absolutely tortured through this film, and yeah, and she's exquisite doing it. Yeah, no, she's amazing. It. I think this is another one of those films where I mean, the first time I sat down and watched this movie, and the scene with the bedroom with the door, the presence on the door, and the door is billowing out and the banging on the wall. It's like, ah, scary. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Turn the lights on. Sorry, can't do it. <laughs> well, that just goes to the nature. It's the what you don't know is out there that scares you more than what you're actually staring at. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's 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 a brilliant film. It's a, you know, Robert Wise is a director that you look at his his filmography, it it's all over the map. It it's amazes me that someone that can direct you know the Daily Earth stood still and the Haunting, and West Side Story and the Sound of Music is can be the same guy. I know, right? And then go on and then go on to do Star Trek the Motion Picture. <laughs> <laughs> Those are just five of the films that are in his, you know, under his name. It, it astonishes me. I think he's just brilliant, and he he knew exactly what he wanted and exactly what he needed in this film, and he, and he got it absolutely spot on. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely. But from a high, <laughs> go goes to a truly new level of high, and, and I I do mean you had to be high. Yeah. <laughs> We, bring we watched. You, oh, that's that's right. Yeah, this is you. Sorry, this go is ahead. me. Uh, so uh, we bring you Halloween with the new Adams family, 1977. Eleven years after the cancellation of the original series, nearly the entire cast is reunited. It's Halloween, and the Adams family sets about planning for the big celebration. But crooks have made them their mark and hatch mind-boggling stupid plans <laughs> to get at the family fortune and wow uh i think you yeah. said it best uh um in your post uh shortly after you had watched this where uh the writers of this particular piece knew exactly three things about the adams family and ran those three things into the ground Yep, absolutely. They they remembered. Uh, oh, they they remembered when Gomez gets crazy when she speaks French. So let's do that two dozen times. I, I, yeah, it got to the point um, where actually I thought that was happening every five minutes. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And if it wasn't it was, happening with Gomez, it was a- happening with Gomez's clone brother, wherever the hell he came from. <laughs> yeah, whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, this was maybe what what I would consider the most disappointing of the films we watched because, and especially because after we I watched this um, just recently, we sat down as a family and started watching the original series, mm-hmm. and they're brilliant. Oh, they're hysterical. The, all three of us are sitting on the couch laughing at this show. That's you know how many years old now? Right. These they're they're fantastic. It, it, this had every chance to be just as hilarious. You know, the cast all jumped into their roles as if time hadn't passed at all. But the script was just awful and really let it down. 
And as much as they jumped into their roles, um, I could actually feel there were points, um, particularly as Gomez would speak, like he's choking it down, like 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 he's saying them, but he ain't there because this is just so awful. It, it, mm-hmm. It's the same gag over and over and over again. <laughs> it is just bewildering uh, how they even came to this. <laughs> It was a real shame. I mean, like I said, the entire cast is there with the exception of... Um, the kids. Now, the kids were there. The, were those the uh, actual kids? The grown-up Wednesday and Pugsley are the actual Wednesday and Pugsley. I couldn't tell because they never spoke. <laughs> oh, sure they did. Well, not as much as uh, some <laughs> of the others. Very but. rarely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean... And then... To placate to uh, possible children that might come in, they actually included some new Adamses, and they were so original, they named them Wednesday Jr. and Pugsley Jr., and I'm like, why? (laughs) Well, apparently this was a sort of testing the waters, the idea of maybe bringing the show back. Sure. So I think there might have been not only was this sort of a way that someone was trying to reintroduce the characters, but maybe sort of doing a, a casting experiment. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't, maybe you could pass the mantle on to the new family. Maybe we would follow Gomez's brother. Sure. And, and a new bride or something like that instead of John Aston. Um, and I think Caroline Jones, while she was in it, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have done another series because I noticed in the credits that she was a special guest star. Right. <laughs> so yeah, she's looking for extra extra dough. <laughs> so I don't think she would have signed on for a whole, for a whole series had they decided to reboot it. Here is a favor to somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Early on, and while I had Jack with me, I was looking for our our more family friendly versions that uh, that I could watch <laughs> with him. And he sat through this with me and hated me for every every minute of it. Yeah, it it was rough. I, I you actually watched this before I did, and you you mentioned that because I was thinking the same thing. It's like, oh, I'll, we'll sit down and watch this as a family. And I, after I saw that, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. This may not be the way to, inter- to re- really introduce the Adams family to to Ben. So, <laughs> why did uh, Chris's family leave him? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, yes. But like I said, we're, we are sitting down and watching the original series, and he absolutely loves it. So I'm very happy. There you go. Yeah. Next, what do we have coming up after this? <laughs> this was some. It was a film that I knew about, but this was actually suggested by someone else that we put on the list. Uh, yeah, no, was, uh, my Laura actually gave us this one. Yeah, Night of the Lepus from 1972. Cole Hillman's Arizona ranch is plagued with mongrel rabbits, and he wants to employ ecologically sound control uh, control methods. As a favor to college benefactor Hillman, college president Elgin Elgin? I think it was Elgin. Elgin Clark calls in zoologist Roy Bennett to help. Bennett immediately begins injecting rabbits with hormones and genetically mutated blood in an effort to develop a method of disrupting their reproduction. One of the test subjects escapes, resulting in a race of bloodthirsty wolf-sized man, horse, and cow-eating bunnies. Eventually, the National Guard is called in for a final showdown with the terrorizing rabbits. 
This is absolutely a ridiculous film. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> uh, the mix of rabbits on miniature sets, hand puppets, and, yes, a man in a suit, all smeared with ketchup and raspberry jam to depict the giant rampaging bunnies is only the beginning of what makes this film ludicrous. Top it all off with horrible miscasting the leads, but despite all that, I'll admit to actually owning the Blu-ray of this film. <laughs> I love how you put uh, how the uh, test subject escapes. Uh, it, it's the daughter of the guy that injected them that released the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, escapes a kind of a loose term, I suppose. Well, no, no. The- it jumps out of her arm. Well, no, no, it gets knocked out of her arm. I think the script might have been okay with this. I don't know where they got with the the uh, the casting. They they cast Stuart Whitman and Janet Lee as our two science leads. And they are actually described by DeForest Kelly's Elgin Clark as a young couple up from, you know, some town. <laughs> young couple. Sorry, hey, young couple? What do, what do you say? We're in our 40s. We're not young? <laughs> <laughs> they've, I, they've got to be in their 50s. They have a, what, 10-year-old? Like, they're... They're, they are Twilight parents. It was just an odd choice. <laughs> and it's, so it all just feels really forced to, to have the kid and everything. Like you, you couldn't have made them, you couldn't have had her call them grandma you know, or, and grandpa or something. They're staying with the grandparents or no, nothing. You're actually going to make this you know, daughter? Fine, whatever. It, it just actually makes the entire premise with them their characters feel really oh, forced. But uh, actually, the funny thing is, uh, I thought the mom and daughter uh, were probably the brightest ones in the bunch. I mean, they actually managed to survive these things coming at them. The fact that uh, the old Bird Eye Gordon wasn't involved in this just still surprises the heck out of me. I mean, Mr. Big himself. This is a film he would have dreamt of making. Why he didn't, I don't understand. He got beat out. <laughs> Someone lowballed him. <laughs> no, this one was just uh yeah, it was laughable from beginning to end. Um and and that that really corny ending where 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 they we've re, we've wrought havoc upon ourselves, but but yet now everything is peachy keen and we won't do it again, we swear. <laughs> like Mm, absolutely not. Like, oh, jeez. And, and how how much did they pay DeForest Kelly to grow that mustache? <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, the first time I watched this film, I thought that was the lepus. <laughs> Stuck there under his nose. Somebody get it! <laughs> but this movie is made for group watch. This is, you get your friends over, you pop popcorn, you get some pizza, you get some beers. Yeah, no, this is a this is a misty riff track special. Uh, everybody have at it, no holds barred because you can't be wrong. And especially if you can pull in people that have never seen it. Absolutely. So they sit there and go, wait, wait, what? was that a, was that a guy in a in a wool? <laughs> was that <laughs> was that guy in a fur coat that just jumped on him? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> should, should we be checking the stock price of Heinz in the 1970s? <laughs> I bet you it went up spite. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was just a wow. That's a whole bunch yep. of wow there. Yeah, it 
it's one I pull out every now and again and, and, and watch just for, out of sheer enjoyment. So going in a completely different direction from organic mayhem to mechanical mayhem, uh, shall we talk about Killdozer from 19... Yes, please. ...from 1972? We don't know anything for a fact. Clint Walker. Except that bulldozer kills. Carl Betts. Two men dead. The survivors watch an unmanned bulldozer continue its rampage. Killdozer. While working on and uh, what the uh, oh typo typo <laughs> while working on a remote island, a work crew finds a large blue rock that they try to dig out. Unknown to them is that the meteorite that that it is a meteorite that fell to the earth. When one of the workers rams the rock with a large bulldozer, some sort of force or entity is transferred to the machine. It goes berserk, seemingly with a mind of its own, and begins picking off the crew one by one. This is way more enjoyable film than it should be. Absolutely, especially, uh, and I didn't even know this uh, till you had told me, that it was a made-for-TV movie. It was a made-for-TV movie. Based on this premise, on the premise alone, this should be an absolute turd. I'll admit it. <laughs> but I think what saves this is the cast. They play everything straight. They do. And it, it makes you believe that this is happening. Absolutely. And I was dumbfounded at the level of character development that happens throughout the film. I mean, you're... Standard construction crew, very, uh, your, your burly, uh, alcohol swilling crew, uh, that they're there to get the job done and get paid. And then as time goes on and as this threat grows, you learn more and more about these characters and they're actually interesting. The foreman of the crew is a recovering alcoholic that this is his last chance to get get this right or he's gone which is what is driving him so hard to keep his crew on task and it just it was amazing to watch it was really surprising now the first time i watched this thing i'm sure i watched it thinking oh kill desert this is gonna be stupid <laughs> absolutely I'm, I'm in the mood for something really ridiculous and yeah this you, you sit down and watch this and you're like Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I really thought I was going to sit here and be making fun of this movie, and there's nothing really to make fun of. It's done really well. And this does the same thing going back to when we did the car. Mm -hmm. What was effective with the car is that they don't explain why the car is what it is and why it's doing what it's doing. In the same vein, the, whatever is transferred to this bulldozer that it's causing it to kill people, it's not explained. We don't get to know. Um, we just know that it's happening, and that makes it all the creepier. And, and, of course, this is just a construction crew. I hate it when people who are involved in your film somehow manage to explain every element of what's happening out of thin air. They don't know. Right. No, they don't know. They don't figure it out. They they have like ideas like it's like, hey, did you see that? Right. You know, that kind of thing. 
And there, there's nobody in there that like, well, fortunately, I was special forces in Nam. You know, <laughs> there's none of that. I, I, I was a geologist uh, with NASA once upon a time. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, there's none of this sort of hand waving. Oh, thank gosh, we have an expert. No, these are just, these are just guys. Yes. These are just ordinary guys. They're working guys. They're working stiffs. Suddenly thrust into this situation. Not all of them handle it well. Yeah. Like I said, it keeps it very real, and that realism is what sells it. Well, and this goes into some of it that while there was all sorts of opportunity, if this was made in a different way, not made for TV, this could have been also a gore fest. And I think it was even more effective that it wasn't. Nope, I absolutely agree. Because he would have been finding any any excuse to slice someone in half with the shovel or see what it's like to get watch someone's skull get run over by the by the uh the treads sure. you know and you didn't you didn't need that that kind of stuff happened but it was done with the i don't look you see the guy's reaction and then they run like hell <laughs> which is the right reaction absolutely <laughs> i i mean yeah and uh, they could have gotten started early because uh, the like the after it's actually killed one person, and it's not entirely clear how the guy even died. Um, the first one that died when the energy was transferred at the onset. Um, but yeah. but when they've shut the, the, the bulldozer down and is sitting there, and the one guy is out, like, he's grabbing a smoke, and he's standing in front of the blade, and the blade lifts and just slams down behind him. That would have been a mm-hmm. perfect gore opportunity, but it was actually creepier that nothing happened. Right, yeah, it was just building up the tension. Uh-huh. Yeah, because uh, he's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> right. And, and yeah. I could have been killed. <laughs> yeah. Now, this one is easily available all over the place. I, I don't know if it's truly public domain, but people act like it is. Yes, because I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> right. I think it was just recently released on Blu-ray, though. Oh, yeah? I don't know what studio, but I think a studio just recently released this on Blu-ray, and I'd love to actually... Actually, the copy you get on YouTube is not a bad copy, no, but I'd still fantastic. be curious to... I'd still be curious to actually see a you know a legitimate release just to see what else they threw in there. You want as much yellow in Killdozer as possible. <laughs> yes, yeah. And also, uh, guys get to see a very young Robert Urich. Yes. Uh, this is only like his fourth or fifth credit. Moving on, though. We need to keep Ooh, moving. Dude. And we watched Nightbreed from 1990. Aaron Boone is haunted by dreams of a place called Midian, where strange humanoid creatures live. With a serial killer terrorizing Calgary, Boone's psychiatrist convinces him that he must be the murderer. After a deadly confrontation with the police, Boone finds out that Midian is real, and his girlfriend Lori is left to discover the truth for herself. Unfortunately for all, the real killer has his own bloody plans for the monsters. I loved the universe that this movie created. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely hated that we barely got a glimpse of it. Agreed. They, Everything to do with Midian and the creatures within was great. Yes. Unfortunately, it was surrounded by everything else that happened in the film. Yeah, really disappointed. I mean, they should have found a way to dump the serial killer plot just so we could explore Midian and its inhabitants. Uh, this was directed by Clive Barker. Uh, Clive Barker 
<laughs> and David Cronenberg is the plays the, the the serial killing psychiatrist. So we got a couple big director names in here. But yeah, Clive Barker he he uh, wrote and directed it, and I I just I don't I don't know why he made that decision. It it doesn't work. You you create this incredible universe and then go and and do everything you can to not ex- visit it. Right. Well, and I kept getting pulled out of it because recently I had just rewatched some kind of wonderful, <laughs> and uh, the the main bad guy um, preppy from some kind of wonderful that was the boyfriend in, in there. Uh, he was the bad guy in some kind of wonderful, and he is the hero in this film. <laughs> oh, and, and and it was throwing me off. <laughs> I was I was struggling with this one too because I'm like I don't know how you go to see the psychiatrist and not know that he's a serial killer from the very first <laughs> second that you meet this guy, <laughs> and all of the. Oh, I get the idea that the monsters are the human beings. Yes, oh, absolutely. it's supposed to be a play on things. The 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 creatures, the the things that are supposed to be evil are actually the things that are normal and the human beings that you run into, they're the ones that are the truly terrible uh, and and disgusting creatures. Uh, because I I don't even know where you find this police force that, that ended up yeah. leading this battle against Midian. <laughs> but Midian and the stuff uh, more currently uh, stuff from like Guillermo de Toro, uh, the kind of universes that he makes, like he did in Hellboy and all that. Midian reminded me of the current stuff like that, like Pan's Labyrinth and all that. But like I said, it was just buried in all that other crap that was going on around it. Before we leave this one, I think this one, the idea and everything behind it, it would have played out better as like some sort of series. It was really almost ahead of its time because I could see something like this being a, a ba- Buffy Netflix the, series a, or a something. Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I wasn't even thinking that soon. I was thinking now. I'm thinking this is the kind of stuff that's on streaming services. There's series on Amazon Prime now. There's series on Netflix now that I feel like kind of play with this very idea. Mm-hmm. It was a film that I'd been wanting to watch. It's kind of one of those ones you always see, remember seeing on the video store shelf, and I never picked it up. Right. Seen like posters and stuff for Nightbreed for forever, and I this is the first time I've ever seen it too. And the poster is very misleading as well because it <laughs> acts like there's you're gonna see all these things a lot, and you don't, yeah, no. yeah. Moving on, we also watched one of The Howling 1981. Newswoman Karen White is recruited by the local police to help capture serial killer Eddie Quist who has been molesting her through through phone calls. After police officers find them in a peep show booth and shoot Eddie, Karen becomes emotionally disturbed. Hoping to conquer her inner demons, she heads, to, heads for the colony, a secluded retreat where the creepy residents are rather too eager to make her feel at home. 
There also seems to be a bizarre connection between Eddie Quist, such a weird name, (laughs) and this supposedly safe haven. And when, after nights of being terrorized by unearthly cries, Karen ventures into the forest and makes a terrifying discovery. It's a werewolf movie, folks. It's a werewolf. It is, and it's one of the best werewolf movies I think I've seen. The thing I'm impressed with with this, uh, it gets a little um, late 70s porno during the the, the actual uh, the colony section and, and all that, especially since our, our lead hero is wearing his uh, massive 70s stash, even though it's now 1981. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm impressed at the entire very gritty beginning of this movie. The scene, uh, the, the what it sets. She she's this daunting reporter putting herself in danger to uh, to both capture and tell the story of what's going on with the serial killer. It had a really neat feel, particularly at the beginning. I loved that part. I don't know. Then it kind of turns into you feel like it's kind of like a uh, Outer Limits episode. Not an Outer Limits. Uh, what was it like? Um, oh, are you afraid of the dark? Or you know it one of those uh like anthology uh, series type stories yeah. um tales from the dark side things like that something like that is what it feels like yeah you go for and it did it changed tone big time even though you um it was weird because that that very urban gritty uh, earth feel i mean this the, everything that was happening up to that point even though they alluded to maybe Eddie is something else, even in the in the booth. They're not clear about it. So everything up to this point could be just a terrifying serial killer uh, kind of movie. And then we switch to the countryside where everything is light and fluffy and kind of hippie like. <laughs> and but that's where the monsters are. <laughs> and with a great cast though uh d wallace heads the cast and we get to see patrick mcnee who i absolutely love i'll watch him doing anything uh kind of sorry we didn't get to see him wolf out though that would have been fun (laughs) and this was funny i knew i found out that you know robert ricardo's in this film i'm like oh I, i i can't wait to see robert ricardo wait i thought robert ricardo was this character oh that is robert ricardo I didn't recognize him. Wasn't expecting him to be Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it's just it is. Like, well, I, I read the credits. I thought Robert Ricardo was Eddie Quist. Who's this? Oh, that is it's Robert t- Ricardo. I didn't recognize him at all. Well, it's the having the hair thing that kind of <laughs> yeah, throws you exactly. off. Exactly. But yeah, no. Exactly. Also, uh, given his uh, tendencies and and the characters that we do know him for. Um, this is way darker than usually he goes. So interesting to see him in that role. We get uh, also appearances by John Carradine. Mm-hmm. Um, Slim Pickens mm-hmm. shows up. So does, yeah, it's an interesting little cast. Does, does Slim Pickens ever wear anything other than khaki? Like uh, he's always a cop or a military guy or <laughs> and he's always that deep southern. <laughs> I can't help but mention the fact that and you can't watch. I, I mentioned it on Facebook after I watched it. 
all werewolf movies are all judged by the transformation into the werewolf. And yes. And this had some fairly impressive ones. Um, the one that still drives me absolutely bat crap crazy though <laughs> is when Eddie Quisp is actually making his conversion in front of her in the space in the time it takes him to change she could have left the state on foot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And like 10 minutes later, he's still changing. I'm like, holy shit. She was just as impressed with the transformation as we were. Absolutely. She was dumb. She wanted to see. Oh, yeah. I'm going to see how this turns out. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, definitely a fun film. Great uh, physical effects and all that but uh but yeah that that one was really <laughs> bugging me i'm like she's screaming her way through it <laughs> yeah i um i thought i had watched the howling i thought this was going to be a rewatch for me i think i must have seen one of the sequels you may have maybe i saw howling too i'm thinking i'm in I, the same boat because i don't actually remember this story nope i don't remember this one at all so that was it was a a, a nice surprise to realize that no, oh, this was this is a new one for mm -hmm. me. Big fun, good, good, good werewolf movie <laughs> has its laughable moments. It's better than our last werewolf movie that we that saw is, on this show. This is yeah. true. <laughs> you mean the werewolf movie without werewolves in it? <laughs> That's the one. Yep. Well, from werewolves we go to vampires. Fangs of the Living Dead, nineteen sixty nine. A woman inherits a castle, but when she arrives, she finds that the inhabitants include a strange nobleman and a bevy of beautiful women she suspects may be vampires. This is one of the first vampire films out of Spain. It was kind of reminiscent of the Italian and British gothic horrors. I found this film to be 95% of a good gothic horror film, but an ending more suited to Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Very much. I also found this one to be rather soap opera-like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was definitely more uh, just interpersonal drama than anything to have to do with whether or not there were vampires. The, um, yeah, good hunks of this felt like, uh, and I know you enjoy the old one, but the like the Dark Shadows uh um, series that that kind of soap opera yeah, feel yeah, with a horror that. twist. I'm just not sure why they decided to go with it with that ending. <laughs> you know, the whole eh, we were trying to drive you crazy, so we made you. But then they actually turned that on its ear and like, wait, so he was a wait, what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and how are you standing in broad daylight? <laughs> uh, I would I, I would really like to actually see an original language print on this one. I wonder if just something's been lost in the translation that maybe it's been re-edited, maybe the dialogue is is different. I, I would really like to see like a subtitled original Spanish film or Spanish version of this. You go ahead. You let me know how that goes. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Because, uh, I mean, this one was still fun to watch. It it, it really was. Uh, it, it was goofy. It was definitely soap opera -y, But, uh, I mean, there was at least story there. Um, this does not meet the dregs level of some of the stuff that we have watched 
for this month. <laughs> no. Because those are still coming, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to the next one. Absolutely. The Next on our list is The Skull from 1965. A collector comes into possession of the skull of the Marquis de Sade and learns it is possessed by an evil spirit. Um, surprised you didn't have a little bit more to a uh, synopsis here, but uh, that, that really does sum it up. Yeah, there really wasn't all that much more to say unless you really get into the, you know, the, the plot and what goes on. I, I don't know. Uh, I actually really enjoy this one. I think it's, well, it's Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee that make any film watchable. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And I couldn't help but uh, poke fun at the fact that they were both uh, Star Wars baddies. I'm right there with you. Uh, This is also one of those less is more kind of things. Um, Had a very Edgar Allan Poe feel to it. Um, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Like like a Raven-style story. The fact that this thing is just... Half of what drives this is just Peter Cushing's obsession in his collection. If the skull wasn't even possessed and didn't cause him to want to do anything, just the notion that it could could have been even more fun to watch it just drive him crazy. Find out, yeah, it, 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 it's nothing. It's just kind of his imagination with the whole thing. Or something. Yeah, because the notion that this is the skull of the Marquis de Sade, a truly evil character from history, the idea that the owning this thing is the thing that makes people go nuts. Not that ne- there's necessarily a, a dark spirit about it or anything, but uh, um, the fact that uh, history comes along with that and he just becomes completely absorbed in the tale of this whole thing and the fact that everybody who owns it seems to be cursed by it to the point where Christopher Lee's character is thrilled to have had somebody steal it from him. I I don't think it's a perfect film. There is the, the moment, you know, when, uh, Peter Cushing's like effectively kidnapped from his home and he finds himself at like, like a a weird, like court, like setting and they hand him the gun and have him play Russian roulette with the revolver and then he's he's allowed to leave. And you're like, what the hell was that? <laughs> uh, I'm glad you brought that one up. Because, yeah, I was kind of like, did the movie show up on somebody else's film lot that day? <laughs> right. And we just went with it. Yeah, I, I got the impression that they were thinking that they were trying to build that this, there was a bigger... Um, like there's a cult behind this. A, the cult that kind of follows the skull or something like that. And you get that impression. And I think it's even kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, the skull used to be in like his museum's collection. Maybe it was a Christopher Lee's museum's collection and he would find it removed, you know, on the nights on these particular nights or whatever. So he was talking about people that come in and, and, and worship it. So maybe that's where that was coming from, but it just kind of comes out of nowhere and it leaves the same way. Yes. That would have been an interesting track if they had continued with it, but the fact that it just kind of sat there by itself and gone, so right. yeah, it gives you a little whiplash in that moment, which is which is funny that it does because the rest of the movie is actually fairly quiet. Um, mm-hmm. It's slow and, and meticulous in its pace, and this didn't sit it with the rest of that at all. 
I mean, it even had kind of an Alfred Hitchcock feel about it. This was a, a fairly early uh, Amicus uh, studio production, and they were kind of like um, competitors to the old Hammer films. And I think it definitely has that same feel. So if you like the Hammer movies, you know, the old like Christopher Lee Draculas and that sort of stuff, you definitely want to check out The Skull. Next on the list, Shadow of the Cat from 1961. A house cat sees her mistress murdered by two servants under the orders from her husband and becomes ferociously bent on revenge. I actually kind of lifted that synopsis probably from like IMDb or something like that, and I don't think it's terribly accurate. (laughs) No, as I think I pointed out uh, when I watched this, uh, it's less that the cat is bent on revenge and more like the people that are going after the cat are so inept that they end up killing themselves. <laughs> yeah. They they think the cat is out for revenge when actually it's just kind of a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It wouldn't be so bad if they had kind of worked that out a little bit more where this is a group um, suffering from a mass hysteria kind of thing. Uh like, they're so guilt-ridden from the thing that they've done that they're they're putting all the onus of what they've done into this cat. So the fact that they see it causes them to freak out so badly that they actually end up killing themselves. Because that's essentially what happens with each and every one of these, these moments where they die. They just freak themselves out into a fashion in which it ends up leading to their death. I think it's a pretty entertaining film, considering it is about a, a movie about a bunch of people that try to kill a cat. <laughs> yep. I, I do think it actually is a fairly decent film. Uh, again, this one needs a really good copy. I think that a, a, good, yeah. a good transfer on this would help a lot. I think what you find you know, available on Prime or wherever it was. You know, it's a copy of a copy or something like that somewhere down the way. Sure. Uh, this was this would be one that I would be it'd be fun to see someone take and uh, actually find the film elements or something like that and and remaster it. That could be entertaining, but nothing's still gonna forgive the fact that they actually caught the cat and managed to lose it. And, then, and the guy that lost it died by falling into a bog. Right. The actor. Uh, plays the the husband Andre Morel. I really like him as an actor, so it's kind of fun to watch him in this anyway. But if you really want to see him do something really awesome, dig up 1959's TV miniseries Quatermass in the Pit. He plays uh, Bernard Quatermass. Amazing miniseries from the BBC. Absolutely recommend it for Andre Morel and for just a phenomenal story. Moving on to our next one, and not to be confused with The Haunting of Hill House, uh, we have The House on Haunted Hill, (laughs) 1959. I'm Vincent Price, and you're invited to my party in The House on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies. Mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. The ghosts are waiting, so won't you join me in the house on Haunted Hill? Hooray. 
or you'll be late for your own funeral. Uh, eccentric millionaire Frederick Lauren and his fourth wife, Annabelle, have invited five people to the house on Haunted Hill for a haunted house party. Whoever will stay in the house for one night will earn $10,000 each. As the night progresses, all the guests are trapped inside the house with ghosts, murderers, and other terrors. It's Vincent Price, man. Exactly. I was going to say, what really needs to be said? This is maybe one of the best Halloween movies. I was so happy when you put this on the list. I'm sure I probably watched this last year. I think it's just one of these films that's, it's the perfect, like, every Halloween you can watch House, House on Haunted Hill. I mean, it's, it's good for casual viewing. It's good for family viewing. Vincent Price is at the top of his game. This film's so much fun. And it, it has been, like, rift and, mi- and mistied. But, mm-hmm. And those are fun and all, but I think this film is just so enjoyable to watch on its own. And there's actually some legitimate good jump scares, too. There are some legitimate good jump scares. What I like to think of when I think of this one is this is the thing that actually um, puts the mystery in the Scooby-Doo mysteries. This is actually, uh, there's a bit of a misnomer here. You don't actually know that there's anything haunted by the time you get to the end of this movie. It is... There is an elaborate plan for laying out the death of the of Vincent Price's character, um, and he turns it around on them. And it's unclear when you get to the end whether or not the house is actually haunted. Mm-hmm. And I love that. No. It's like, hey, we tore we tore the mask off the 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 ghost, and it turns out it was just Joe Blow. <laughs> Damn you, kids. <laughs> as much as, like I said, William uh, Vincent Price is on the top of his game, this is probably the height of William Castle, the director, uh, William mm-hmm. Castle. And I am a big fan of William Castle and his his films and the gimmicks that went along with those films. I, I am so sorry that I can't be, you know, one of these kids in, in the 1950s that got to go to the theaters to a William Castle showing. And, for the first time. Yes, and have you know the skeleton zoom out or have the seats wired so they buzz, you know, at certain moments and stuff. Ah. He was such a showman and an absolute creative, creative genius. And and I think a pretty damn fine director. Mm-hmm. I, I was happy to throw this out. I was even channeling you when I uh <laughs> when I put this on on the list because uh uh, I, I tend to lean a lot more modern more often than not, but I do have my go-tos, and this is one of my go-tos. Yeah. I love this movie. And I would recommend you can find it in black and in the original black and white. You can also find it colorized. Go for the black and white. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you're, you, you really don't want this film colorized. No, no. It, it plays so much better. It, it needs that. It needs that feel that... That acetone feel. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it helps with the creepy. Well, the next film might be a little bit more uh, divisive. <laughs> you think? I don't know if they pronounce it Goke or Goki, 
Body Snatcher from Hell, 1968. Uh, this comes out of Japan. The survivors of a plane crash in a remote area are attacked by blob-like alien creatures that turn their victims into bloodthirsty vampires. Uh, first off, I'm going to flex my, my, my minor little bit of Japanese. Um, that should be Goke. Goke. Very good. Thank you. There you go. So we got a hijacked planes crashing, greedy politicians, anti-war messages, and aliens. And all this, and we get to see everyone's humanity unravel when doom seems unavoidable. There, There is absolutely everything in this thing, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I I know, I said that. And, and, and on top of it, we're going to deliver every line by screaming it. <laughs> <laughs> Stressful time. Every single goddamn line. It's a stressful situation. <laughs> to say the least. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. This may be not the best. I I think it's good. I think it's enjoyable. I think it's watchable. Um Oh, absolutely. It is available. I don't know if it's still in print, but it was released on Criterion. On a Criterion oh, wow. Blu-ray. <laughs> Wow. This is everything that one loves about Japanese cinema. Because uh, it's over the top. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's relentless. It, it, it is, uh, it's the horror equivalent of, uh, of your Japanese monster movies, too. I mean, it's just... It, everything is just... Like the lines, everything about this movie screams at you. Yeah. Everything is relentless. It is nonstop. It's completely fun. I did not hate watching it. I just couldn't help but laugh my way through. <laughs> Fair enough. I will say this about it. Uh, the, the actress that plays the the American, uh, uh, Kathy Horn is her name. You want to see something really interesting with her, another Japanese film, watch a film called Genocide. That okay. one will take you by surprise. Well, anything else she would have to be in would have to take me by surprise because <laughs> um, her existence in the film and her storyline, for lack thereof, and just the dialogue that came out of her, I... It was more comfortable listening to the the Japanese that was being screamed at you by all the other characters than it was to hear the English that she was actually speaking. Because mm-hmm. it was kind of like, it was kind of like, even though you knew she knew what she was saying and all that, it was like it was a bad translation gotcha. <laughs> coming from her. Because... She couldn't stress enough that her husband had been killed during the Vietnam War. Like, this is supposed to be Vietnam War era. And that he is killed in action. And it was every time she came on screen. (laughs) And then, whatever I don't know if it was bad translation or not, but whenever the other characters were... She would say, like, three things, and then somebody would translate what she said to the rest of the passengers, and it would go on to, like, this diatribe. There was way more content than she had expressed. Lots of fun. It was lots of fun. Yep, good. (laughs) Shall we move on to the... You're going to have to help me with this... uh, Is it Lepterica? Let's let's call it that. It's also called the She-Butterfly. Yes, 1973. 
based on the Serbian 19th century short story, After 90 Years, by Milovan Glisic. Glisic? I have no idea. Glisic. Its hero is Strahina, a poor young man uh, who falls in love with the local landowner's daughter. In order to prove himself worthy of her love, he has to spend a night in an accursed mill. It is said that a vampire is sucking the blood of unfortunate millmen, thereby bringing the village to the verge of famine. Strahina manages to survive the night, more through clumsiness than courage, but the vampire escapes. Luckily, the boy learns the vampire's name, and following a prolonged search, the creature's grave is found. A group of villagers seemingly dispatch it with a stake through the unopened coffin, but the young man has yet to meet the real horror on his wedding night. This was another one that was suggested to us. Thank you to whoever did. Uh, well, um, thank you. Yeah, um, I thought I found this one to be, sorry, but I found this one to be boring as hell. <laughs> it really was. The, um, the, there's the quote-unquote surprise ending is telegraphed within the first 10 minutes of the film. Maybe there's something lost in translation, but I, I found the whole thing just completely obvious, uneven, and unoriginal. The thing, as I was trying to read a, a little bit about this, and people are saying that this is some of the scariest stuff that they have ever seen, I'm like, there are moments, most of this film is spent in almost a Benny Hill style fashion with the with the goofy men of the village um, uh, playing grab ass with each other more than anything else. Um the horror elements are, could probably fit into the span of five minutes. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't enjoy this one at all. No, uh, not even worthy of. Um, well, let me try again. You know, I think Matt Kowalski is the one who recommended this one, and maybe if I sat down and watched it with him, he could uh, <laughs> maybe walk me through exactly what it is about it that he he enjoyed. I'll have to ask him about that if I get to see him next June at the. Assuming there's a monster bash next June, right? <laughs> and he, assuming there's a next June, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll definitely have to quiz him on exactly what is it about that film that you like. Yeah, I I, I could use a little explanation too because I, I, I I'll admit I'm not up on my Serbian. So <laughs> right, right, I right. Mean, it, that I was really interested in seeing it just because it would be you know from a, a nation that I don't get to see a lot of films from. I mean, if that was legitimately shot in Yugoslavian countryside, it, the area was rather beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Love to visit the, the site of where they were, but <laughs> but can, can the villagers go somewhere else, please? <laughs> I, I, I'll admit, I found, I found it to be more of a comedy than anything. Yeah. I mean... Watching them uh, uh, basically make fun of their drunken uh, priest. Right. <laughs> you just wanted them to play the Benny Hill theme song and watch them run around each other. Uh, as they, as I'm waiting for someone to pants one of the other guys. <laughs> like, Start like, slapping yeah. the old guy on the head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I think we've already said more than we need to on this particular yep. yeah, one. Yeah, I think we should move on to this one. To The Undertaker and His Pals from 1966. Another recommendation, this one from Chris Cree. Didn't you ever think when the hearse rolls by that someday you are going to die? Ladies and gentlemen, as producer of this film, I would like to make the following statement. This motion picture is a vicious expose of a part of the young generation, that sick generation who must ravage and plunder for their kicks. Scenes of such brutal honesty will be shown on this screen that we strongly recommend that impressionable young people or those people of any age who are upset or affected by scalpel slashing, arm twisting, axe hacking motorcycle maniacs now close their eyes for the remainder of this coming attraction and further recommend these people do not attend any showing of this film. Thank you. She's got things to answer for. An undertaker and his two friends, who are restaurant owners, drum up business by going out of the town and killing people. The restaurant owners use parts of the bodies for their menu, and the undertaker gets paid by the families to bury the remainder. Their racket goes awry when two detectives suspect that something isn't quite kosher. I think there are some funny puns. They went out of their way for the puns, but... Uh, but overall, I found the film to be kind of a bad attempt at like an exploitation film. And it mm. was just abusive and not enjoyable for me. I actually went out of my way to look this up. I didn't realize Sweeney Todd was written after this. Definitely some vibes there. Yeah, maybe a but, little yeah, the, inspiration. The, the notion that, uh, yeah, the notion that the the Undertaker is drumming up the business that is also feeding the local eatery um, very much feels of the uh, barber killing the people and then giving the bodies to turn into pies. I was I was hopeful for this one. Um, I think you watched it before I did, and your description. And it just made it sound like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll have to check this out. I'm, I'm intrigued. And yeah, I was disappointing. I was disappointed. By uh, throwing Sweeney Todd in there was not meant to give it a stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> More like uh, it got improved upon. Right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> and not going any better. <laughs> no. Our next film, <laughs> Nightmare Weekend. 1985. A brilliant professor, that's funny, invents a complex computer program meant to better society by altering the bad behavior of its test subjects. However, this sometimes causes the personal belongings of these subjects to transform into deadly metal pinballs that attack people, as one unfortunate burglar discovers. His daughter also uses uh, the machine like a video game, unaware or uncaring of its real-world effects on nearby machinery turning against their users. She also owns a strange robotic puppet named George, helping her make decisions about her life. You know, with at least this description, it 
almost sounds like something you want to check out until you actually watch it. Yeah, yeah. And I think this may have actually been 1986. I think I might have typed that wrong. It's 85 or 86. Anyway, it's mid-80s, and you don't worry about it. You don't want to watch it anyway. I described it as one of those movies that at any point someone walked in while you were watching it, you'd be really embarrassed. And I thought that was completely accurate. You know, I've I've watched tons and tons and tons of movies and shows of all different levels of quality and all that. And I felt a little scuzzy watching this one. Yeah, this was, I, I really think someone wanted to shoot a pornography. <laughs> yes. yes. And I, I'm honestly wondering if one does not exist and that it's just been excised out and someone has it somewhere. The best thing I can say about it is for a movie that we watched on YouTube, the quality was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's the weirdest thing. The movies that we're like, wow, I wish there was something better because this is a really great movie, but all we have is this muddy print. This one, however, crystal clear. We could have been in a theater. You could show this on the theater. Yeah, put it up in IMAX. Oh, man. Yep. Just so wrong. Yep, so, so wrong. So let's move on to something a lot better. Yes. The Thing from 1982. An American scientific expedition to the frozen wastes of, a, of the Antarctic is interrupted by a group of seemingly mad Norwegians pursuing and shooting a dog. The helicopter pursuing the dog explodes, eventually leaving, or, uh, yeah, leaving no explanation for the chase. During the night, the dog mutates and attacks other dogs in the cage and members of the team that investigate. The team soon realizes that it's an alien life form with, with the ability to take over other bodies, and it's on the loose, and they don't know who may have already been taken over. I'm not sure what we can say that hasn't already been said about the thing. Uh, as I said, to repeat what so many have mm. pointed out, it's a master class in visual effects, and more about the paranoia and isolation than it is about aliens. That, that's what really kind of sits with you is as uh, they're just even trying to figure out who's there to eat them and who's not. <laughs> I mean, and the amount of times they got it wrong. Yeah, another fantastic cast, you know, with uh, Kurt Russell, another film that, once again, another Kurt Russell film. We've got, This has been the year of Kurt Russell for us. Every director has their actors, and John Carpenter's case yes, it yes. is Kurt Russell. And of course, we got all good old Wilford Brimley, uh, Keith David. And, and the funny thing is, this, this has become the fodder for so many other things. Oh, yeah, um, the inspiration in, that this film, yeah. Yeah, the, the whole isolated Antarctic, uh, the, 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 the things that are going on. Interestingly enough, I just finished watching the latest season of um, of Archer, the uh, the the spy the animated spy comedy um, on FX. And interestingly, the season finale takes place trying to solve a murder mystery in a camp in Antarctica. <laughs> and I'm like everything about it rung of the thing just it didn't involve the alien element uh just so much fun uh, and uh and yes it's the psychology 
of it, it, it the 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 effects are amazing unto themselves uh, again i can never say enough for physical effects cgi would wouldn't do this thing justice i'm actually afraid to watch the newer version uh, and i i have a recording of it i will watch it at some point but i will now watch it and this is i think i even described this film to you as the film I have seen so many parts of it that I've it's never occurred to me and that I never sat for the whole movie. So this was my first sitting to watch it from beginning nice. to end. And it was, I, it doesn't cease to hold your no, attention. No, that is absolutely true. <laughs> Shall but we move let on? Let us keep though? moving. We're kind of, we're, we're nearing the home stretch. We're coming around the last bend. We are indeed. Um, I don't even, we should have been counting these off. <laughs> I don't know how deep we are. We're getting there. But this is one that I added to to the list, and I'm so thrilled that I did. Bubba Hotep, 2002. Based on the Bram Stoker Award nominee short story by Joe R. Lansdale, Bubba Hotep tells the quote-unquote true story of what really became of Elvis Presley. We find Elvis, played by Bruce Campbell, as an elderly resident in an East Texas rest home who switched identities with an Elvis impersonator years before the king's apparent death. Elvis teams up with Jack, played by Ozzie Davis, a fellow nursing home resident who thinks that he is actually President John F. Kennedy. And the two find themselves having to battle an evil Egyptian mummy who has chosen their long-term care facility as his hunting grounds. Given that synopsis, this should be the most ridiculous film (laughs) that you'd ever watch. Ask not what your rest home can do for you, but what you can do (laughs) for your rest home. I'm so glad you put this on the list. This is a film I I, I knew about. I've I've mm-hmm. been told it's really good. It's one of those you know you you should really see this one kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. One of the f- last years that I was at the Denver Starfest, uh, Don Coscarelli was there, and uh, a lot of people asked him and talked to him about Bubba Hotep as well as you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Things like uh, Beastmaster and stuff like that, you know, obviously. Sure. But I never got around to watching it. So this was a great excuse and a great kick in the pants. And I'm so glad I did. this. I think this might be the film that I enjoyed the most out of of all 31 films. This is the one that I think is like, wow, okay, this is the actual real movie. You know, we saw a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of, just fluff and cheese and then like there's this one that should be nothing but fluff and cheese and it's like no no this is the this is a real movie this movie is proof that bruce campbell is a real actor oh absolutely i i mean the mummy is the weirdest MacGuffin i've ever seen because Uh it just gets us into the life of a man who's asking all the things that many of us are going to be asking as we near the end of our lives you know, he's he's looking back and talking about you know the the regrets and the decisions that he made and you know uh, how our elderly are treated uh, by both the caregivers and the family. All this really kind of deep subject matter, 
and a movie about a guy that that is that may be Elvis and a guy that thinks he's John F. Kennedy who's been dyed black. Like like I said, uh, the on the surface premise stuff is so ridiculous. I mean, it should be the dumbest movie ever or just so silly that you just giggle your way through it. But the level of care that they give to developing these characters to, um, and quite frankly, I've never been more riveted at the notion of an Elvis Presley. Right. <laughs> I, mean, the, <laughs> I mean, Elvis, Elvis is a longtime joke for me. My uncle was always in love with Elvis. He himself would often uh, dress up as him, play the music all the time, watch the movies. And so Elvis has always been kind of a joke for me. So any of the conversation around it always drives me crazy. But never have I seen something where this is as plausible a way that Elvis might have actually gone on in life and as equally as sad. And the way that Bruce Campbell played it, dead serious. And uh, so Bruce Campbell, I think, he disappears into this role. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. someone who isn't really familiar with him if you didn't tell him or tell anybody that that's who it is, it would take him a while before it would click. Like yes. they'd be sitting there. Like I was talking about like Robert Ricardo, they'd be sitting there and going, I thought you said Bruce Campbell was in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, there's only a few moments where it's like, Oh, Bruce Campbell's there. There he is. There he, is. he popped out. <laughs> yeah. Cause he d- There are a few, Bruce Campbell moments and they're the ones that are always tied to what's coming up with the uh, oh it, the one where it's totally Bruce you can tell it's Bruce is when he's battling the scarab in his room and he's having to try to fight the thing and he's smacking it with the the the, the bedpan it's very reminiscent <laughs> of um evil, evil dead yeah, stuff, like that, uh, that could just as easily army of that darkness. could just easily be his hand absolutely but yeah, you take except for those few moments. Uh, oh my god, I I was riveted watching this. I'm like, is the I hadn't actually seen this movie yet either. I'm just oh a, okay. I thought you had. No, I'm a big Bruce Campbell fan, but this is one of the ones that I hadn't seen yet, and and I didn't want to. If I wanted a Bruce Campbell one in the Halloween mix, I didn't want to go for the usual stuff. Um, he has a bevy of things. I wanted to go for the one that was a little less obvious. And so, yeah, this is my first sitting for this, too. Um, yeah, I uh, nothing but impressed. Yep, it was fantastic. I'm so glad you put it on the list because, like I said, I, I think out of all of them, this is this is probably my favorite film out of the 31 films we mm-hmm. watched. This is this was number one and one I will be watching again. I think I think this is one that's going to have to be uh, like a permanent uh, fixture to my collection. And, and watched often. Yes. No, absolutely. I'll definitely be watching this one every now and then. I can't right. not. It, it's just too good. Well, moving on here so we can get into, so we can get this list done. We got The Fly from 1986. A brilliant but, ex, a, a brilliant but a, a eccentric <laughs> scientist begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. So yes, this is the second fly film we had on our list. Second time we've seen Cronenberg on on our list. You know, since we was mm-hmm. he was actually an actor in Nightbreed. He directs The Fly, 
a remake of the original The Fly. Def a full on. Remake. Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is a reimagining. Might be a better term. Um, the, probably <laughs> the trademark Cronenberg kind of body horror is on full display, but it is not as gratuitous as I remembered. I was really had memories of this film being gross just for gross's sake. And that's really not the case here. Well, it, yeah. And it, it wasn't gross just for gross sake, but because it is the way that it is, it's still very visible. Oh, absolutely. It sits in your conscience ever after seeing it. I mean, it was very effective in watching Joel, Jeff Goldblum uh, devolve into the, the as they uh, very accurately called it, the Brundlefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love that. <laughs> I don't know why that sticks with me, but I love that he just called himself the Brundlefly. Um, but, but yeah, the effects is he... Uh, his body just started to decay around him as he was as his dna was altering from day to day i do think the romance uh with gina davis is absolutely ridiculous i mean we get 10 minutes of our stars together before they end up in bed together it's a pointless plot element but yeah it's it's not as an offensive remake as many other remakes (laughs) it's actually really good film the first fly was meant for its shock value and all that, and they wanted to put a big fly on a man's head. <laughs> this one took the concept and took it further as if this was a real thing that could happen. So your computer actually has to figure out how to fit you together. It's not going to make a giant fly head out of, right. <laughs> out of nothing. So it just rewrites your entire DNA and what happens from there. And then what happens as you devolve and what is, what is it that you are trying to become I think um, the Curse of the Fly and this version of the Fly have a lot more in common than the original Fly and the Curse of the Fly. Yes, absolutely. In fact, it, it, it dumb luck that these both ended up on our list together. But yeah, they have a lot of the similar feel. Well, since we're talking about Jeff Goldblum. Yes, and I put this one on the list out of love and remembrance. Uh, This is a very early uh, instance of Jeff Goldblum. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow from 1980. Angered that Katrina has grown fond of a schoolmaster crane, Brom Bones determines to scare off the interloper by filling his head with the spooky tales of a headless horseman crane disparages the legends until one fateful ride home in the dark of night i definitely remember this one more fondly (laughs) (laughs) than watching it again this time around uh it is not a loving retelling (laughs) of of the legend of sleepy hollow (laughs) I, I think it's the role Jeff Goldblum was born to play, though. <laughs> As I said when I posted, he is at his Jeff Goldblumiest. Yes. <laughs> you never get more him than you do in this. I thought it was still, I mean, it was a, this was another, it was a made-for-TV movie. Yes. I thought it was a fun retelling. It of, was. You know, but um, this, this one desperately needs a proper release. I mean, we found we watched it off YouTube, and it's obviously an off-air recording that someone just taped off on their on their 
old JVC or something. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that stuck with me, which the copy that we got to see uh, leaves out is when the actual headless horseman makes his appearance, the real one. He is actually a very impressive figure, um, but because this is such a grainy copy, copy, copy thing, um, he sits too much into the ba- the dark background and you can't make him out. Yeah, um, uh, I'll admit that this, probably because the visual is so dark and everything, this was one that was kind of, had to try a couple times to get through because I kept dozing off. Well, and because I knew that this was the family-friendly version uh, of this, this was one that I watched with my son, and my son loves the Headless Horseman so much, and he was so mad at me when this was over <laughs> because, uh, not to give it away, folks, but in this, uh, the Headless Horseman is essentially Cupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> he... He doesn't actually do anything except lead Ichabod back to his love. Right. Which is Meg Foster. (laughs) Yes. And her haunting blue eyes. I know, right? Those things will drill a hole through you. Those still come through. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do. No amount of green will, uh, (laughs) will take that out. Well, next on our list was one that I threw on there. It is Scare Waves from 2014. This is one of the more recent films on the list, too. This is urban legend garbage. I have to apologize to you, my faithful listeners. I cannot subject you to such tyrannically mundane drivel. I've decided to share just a small sampling of my personal knowledge on the topic. This is Scarewaves. Amos Satan has a story to tell. Some tales that give a whole new meaning to dead air. It's talk radio meets creep show. Listen if you dare. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Final night as a radio host, shock jock Amos Satan spins four spine-tingling tales of terror in this anthology of urban legends inspired by Creepshow and Tales from the Crypt. This is actually one of my favorites from filmmaker Henrik Kudo, who is a local filmmaker based out of Dayton. Uh, This is a who's who of his acting and writing regulars, along Mm -hmm. with some great first-timers, all pulled together in his own little homage to the horror anthology. And I'll always have a sweet spot for this film because I got to be on set for a couple nights of shooting for a couple different stories. Which scenes? The two guys that kill the the one guy's wife and she turns into a a vengeful water nymph. Yes, that one. I was there for the... Like the like when you see him when he's got the baseball bat and he's gripping that bat and he's ready to bash (laughs) it. I was there. I saw that film. 
And I got to see the one with the uh, the retired cop who was the security guard. Uh, okay. And I saw I was on set for several scenes when they were shooting uh, a lot of his um, backstory, okay. where he's uh, you know, shooting some of the, the the victims and accidentally you know shoots the girl and that sort of thing. Mm, yeah. And I actually get a production assistant credit at the end of the film. <laughs> oh, do you? I did. I didn't read the credits. <laughs> Yeah, always have a sweet spot just for that alone. But legitimately, if I even if I weren't in the credits or on set for the film at all, I still think I'd I'd, I'd like this one. I I like the anthology style. I like yeah. the uh, the connection with the shock jock, and then it's got to throw in a little bit of a twist ending. I I enjoyed it. I think it's because it's coming from uh, several different sources. You know, several different writers. Yeah, I, I think it, it it really helps. I mean, there is a lot of um, gratuitous nudity. Well, as I likened it, uh, I, I remembered the old Skinamax series hotline about the radio show where people call in to tell their titillating tales, um, and I, I just I couldn't help but note that uh, he, Henrique was probably a little more uh, gratuitous than even <laughs> Skinamax. But I mean, yeah, I I, I actually like this motif. Uh, I was trying to think of a, there were uh, there was another one where there's a radio show and it had kind of more of a horror twist to it, where the 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 various stories that are told through the radio show all ended up intertwining into a, a single ending. Um, and so I, I I have a love affair with this particular kind of motif. Uh, his actors need a little more seasoning. <laughs> Some do, yes. Because they tend to run through their lines at, at breakneck paces. Some are better than others. The more the ones that we you see in uh, a couple of his films, uh, like Aaron R. Ryan, she was the girl that rents the apartment. Uh, the 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 one artist. She's a photographer. Okay, she's renting the room. Yes, yes. Uh, she is in a lot of different a lot of films and everything. I think she's definitely one of the better actors among the mix there's a few of the other ones that are obviously coming in and maybe are there for the first time sure um that yes could use a little bit more a little more handling try that again but for an independent film considering he shoots most of this stuff kind of like on weekends you know over the course of, of, of several months and you only get your actors for a few hours a day you don't really have the time for a lot of like, okay, we need, let, let's try that one more time. You know, you maybe get two, three takes and it's like, whatever the best out of that, that's what I'm going to use. <laughs> no, I, I, I poke fun uh, and tease at Henrique. But again, th this is, this is somebody that's passionate about doing this and he, he's working with what he's got and he still manages to put out some pretty good stuff. So yeah. you can't, you can't argue. I mean, how, in, in, in that little corner of Ohio, I mean, what are you what are you hoping to get out of out of this? The fact that he gets a, a full fledged watchable film uh, out of what he's got around on a budget that uh, can't be that much. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm totally impressed. I mean, I can't do it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, and, and I can't do it and make it enjoyable. I enjoyed the film. I enjoy the motif, uh, but it's fun to poke fun at some of the sillier elements too, but that's half the fun too. Good. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So now on to one that uh, <laughs> you thoroughly enjoy. 
I do. As you get giddy on camera at the notion that I'm about to read this off. Yes. So we watch Santo and Blue Demon against Dracula and the Wolfman, quite the title. Um, 1973. Masked wrestling champion and occasional crime fighter, El Santo once again saves Mexico from the ravages of undying monsters in this blend of grappling and horror. Two legendary monsters, the vampire Dracula and a werewolf named Rufus Rex, are brought back to life by a hunchbacked henchman. As the monsters roam free and threaten the life of El Santo's closest friends, he teams up with fellow wrestling icon Blue Demon to vanquish the creatures once and for all. Luchadors and vampires and werewolves, oh my! Uh, and I know you were dying for me to watch this film. I I was curious. Just so I could watch three wrestling matches. <laughs> yeah, well. With an Abbott and Costello movie thrust between the, the different matches. Little Abbott and Costello. I can see the connection, but... Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, it's more the it's more the notion of your heroes meet the monsters. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But well, I should uh, I should give you some backstory on 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 this one and why please, I enjoy this one so much. <laughs> I had heard a lot about the Luchador films by listening to another podcast. But over Derek M. Cook over at Monster Kid Radio is a big fan, and he's talked about them on a couple occasions. And I was like, okay, I've got to see these things. So I went and I, I scrounged up a couple. I went and finally bought a few at, at Monster Bash. Sure. This is one of the earliest ones that I watched. Um, or one of the first, I shouldn't say one of the earliest ones. One of the first ones that I watched. And many of the films, many of the wrestling films, whether it's Santo, Blue Demon, or uh, Mil Mascara, they are sort of like the uh, the Batman or or Superman of the piece, where they just kind of swoop in at, at at moments and you know save the day kind of thing. This one I love because it's just them living their normal lives. Mm-hmm. So they have you know Santo has his girlfriend. He does his wrestling, but then oh, can you help me with my and meet my grandfather? Oh, sure, absolutely. And they go and they drive and they they sit around and they play they play bridge and have tea. Wearing sport coats and turtlenecks, and, and the, the luchador mask, and it's it's just this weird surreal quality about that that I absolutely love. I love watching them just be normal people mm-hmm. in a luchador mask when they're just oh, and here's our hero Santo, and he comes in and saves the day, and he's always in his wrestling gear. It was kind of like, well, then that just feels like a superhero costume. I, I just, I just, I just love seeing them just normal people in a mask, and everyone, no one bats an eye. Oh, this is my friend, you know, Santo. Oh, yeah, great, the famous wrestler. It, that's it. No, there's no question. There's no, nope. It's just obvious. Oh, of course. Well, uh, for for the people in the more current realm of things, uh, for those of you out there listening, for a luchador and his mask is very much like a Mandalorian and his helmet. Yes. Um, this is the way. You do not take your mask off. Exactly. <laughs> so, 
It is, I can't imagine what it smells like under there, though. <laughs> it is a very big thing. Uh, if they are seen out in public, they do not go out without their mask. I, I, I totally get the mystique, uh, which makes it also mean they can go out in public at some point without the mask, and no one has clue one who the hell they are. Good point. Um, uh, so you can do that all day long. The, the what I, I and this is what again why you watch some of these things. I couldn't help but laugh at how inept El Santo actually is. <laughs> he spent more time on his back in this movie. <laughs> Whether he's being dropped by someone in a wrestling match, <laughs> or just knocked out by the gas, he spends half of a <laughs> half of one of the 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 action sequences with the vampires and werewolves knocked out in the living room of the house. <laughs> you can bash Santo if you want. I'm a Bloom Demon fan myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's just the sidekick in the this. In this and, one, he is. Yeah, a and, little bit barely in it at that and i just love the notion every problem can be solved by wrestling (laughs) pretty much this one too this is an unfortunate one because uh there's always the the wrestling match at some point or several in these films and these are three full matches (laughs) and these were actually obviously staged for the film sure there are some where you watch where you get footage from an actual match. And I much prefer those because you get like the stadium and you get the crowd and right. you see the audience and everything and, and their reactions to what's going on. I find that much more enjoyable than this weird wrestling ring on a stage kind of Well, this was even ridiculous too because the first match is El Santo and... Some pretty boy. The second match the, the is angel, Blue Demon. I believe. Yeah, the second match is Blue Demon and a different pretty boy. Yeah. Um, and then the third match is the tag team between El Santo and Blue Demon and the two pretty boys. <laughs> like, like, oh, like I didn't see that coming. It was uh, <laughs> it was the White Angel and Renato the Hippie. Renato, uh, yeah, the hippie. But, yeah, I couldn't get over the fact that, I mean, while, yes, these were staged, staged wrestling matches for for the film, um, they they called them in their entirety. Yeah, no, (laughs) no. So, like, uh, fast forward. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, you can fast forward to the wrestling matches. Oh, wait, this film's only 20 minutes long. Oh, too much fun, though. I get, I totally get why you like them, and, and actually one of the more fun mystery science theaters is actually an El Santo movie. It is, it is. That is true. Well, I've got many more. If you're curious to see them, <laughs> I'm happy to share. We will get to them at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> well, from this one. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> Dawn of the Mummy, 1981. A group of fashion models disturb the tomb of a mummy and revive an ancient curse. Along with the mummy rising, slaves who were buried in the desert thousands of years before also rise with a craving for craving for human flesh. <laughs> Dumb of the mummy. Uh, I mean, Dom of the mun, uh, Dawn of the mundane. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, 
yeah, whatever this thing's called. <laughs> this maybe was trying to emulate a Euro horror, you know, something out of Spain or Italy. Uh, uh. Trying being the operative word. It lacks the spirit and style that makes those films watchable. This film, and I think you pointed out too, has at least a few shots of some impressive makeup. But outside mm-hmm. of that, God, this thing needs to rot somewhere. It was a horrible film. It, it was terrible. I mean, the whole... I could—I I was losing my mind when uh, the the Tomb Raiders that... Uh, that came across the, the the crypt in the first place are now shooting at the uh, at, at the models because they think they're encroaching on on the find. They stop shooting and then the the models go to move is to approach the people that were shooting right. at them and then and then take over the crypt. <laughs> uh, funny story, I just kind of found this just trying to google you know like 80s horror because i had so much mm-hmm. fun with a lot of the 80s horror last year like well find some more of these because there's a whole bunch that i i knew i like saw the video store shelf you know they were on there and i wanted to watch them that kind of thing and so this this came up like oh mummy you know it's halloween let's we should we should do a mummy film it's on amazon prime i i dial it up on amazon prime and it asks me would you like to resume? <laughs> apparently, apparently, I started to watch this at some point <laughs> and fell asleep. Probably, <laughs> yeah. I didn't didn't realize that. Um, didn't think I'd watched it at all. But yeah, no. This was this was really bad. It was. So let's move on. Definitely. All right. Next up, uh, April Fool's Day from 1986. Nine college students staying at a friend's remote island mansion begin to fall victim to an unseen murderer over the April Fool's Day weekend, but nothing is as it seems. I wasn't sure what to make of this one. And we'll get to this when we get to um, a film later on. Uh-huh. I, I walk into this film really expecting something very different. Mm-hmm. I was expecting like a legit 80s kind of slasher movie, uh-huh. but with maybe, you know, like April Fool's Day, sort the method of death I expected to be sort of... Prank, pranks gone wrong, but actual death. Exactly. Or someone using a prank to actually murder or something. Sure. I don't know. I, maybe I'm be I would be alone. I don't, and I don't know how this thing was advertised. But I, I really wonder what actual like paying movie horror or paying horror movie fans thought of this when they sat in the theater in 1986 and saw this thing. I wasn't really sure what to make of it. <laughs> watching it now, and I, I didn't have to pay an extra dime. If I'm to put myself in the place of uh, the people that made this film. And how it had to promote it, and if if they if they were as smart as I'd like to think maybe they were, I would love the idea that this in and of itself is an April Fool's Day prank. Yeah, that they created this thing to think that you were going to see a horror movie, and you didn't. You saw an elaborate prank, and I actually found 
I loved it. <laughs> yeah, really? I I liked it. I think I would have to revisit it knowing what I'm getting into and without the expectations of it. I think I might enjoy it more. I, I could see that because, um, again, I didn't know anything about this one going in. I, I had completely missed this one when it gone, went through the 80s and it never came up on anything that I watched. So when we, this is my first watch, but I put myself in the position of that that group of people. And then when it came up and it turns out, ha ha, everything in this movie is a total prank. Like we pretty much told you, getting out the gate, everything yeah. that happened in this was a prank. So the whole movie itself is a prank. I'm like, that was awesome. It, it, it is what it says on the tin. I mean, it's called April Fool's Day. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it, and it totally got you. And it was effective. I mean, you thought some real shit was going down. And when it gets to the end, and it's perfectly explained and what everything happened like i i kind of really dug it i mean is it is it the greatest film ever by no stretch of the imagination it is definitely cheesy 80s with the cheesy hair and and all that but um but no i thought the uh i thought that plot device was very effective uh i i did enjoy uh some of the cast i think uh deborah foreman who plays muffy She's got them crazy Muffy. eyes. She did that crazy eye thing, the crazy girl, really well. Yeah, you could totally picture her being the one. And that's what's funny. You could picture her being the killer, and essentially she was. Right. She just wasn't actually killing. Right. Now, she was great. And I also really liked, and I got a poor, uh, Amy Steele, who played Kit. If I saw this or I saw her in something in 1980s, I'd totally have a crush on this woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I just really dug her. You know, 1980s me would have had a crush on her. The nineteen oh, yeah, yeah. the 1980s me that still lives in the 2020 me still has a crush on her. <laughs> then we watched 1988's The Church. In medieval Europe, knights massacre a village full of suspected devil worshippers and build a large Gothic church above the cursed remains. It is now present day, and this elaborate cathedral still stands. But when its sealed crypt is accidentally reopened, a group of people trapped inside the church either become possessed by or fall victim to an ancient evil. I found this almost to be a little bit more reminiscent of some of the uh, anthology films that we watched. Mm. Uh, it was To me, this was like a series of horror-themed vignettes that were strung together with a very loose plot thread. Um, as with many other Dario Argento films, it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's filled with beautiful people. Yeah. And it has him portraying his daughter as a sex object. Whether or not that makes a good movie, I think can be debated. I kind of find myself liking this one um, quite a bit because this reminded me of some of the creepier stuff that I, back in the good old days, Channel 19 again, and you get to uh, October and the horror movies that would be on on Saturday. This sat as, I I sat myself in myself in the 80s watching those and getting creeped out by it. And so I really kind of enjoyed the feel of it. It's it's chaotic. It's kind of messy. 
Um, it, it is the vignettes. It, it's that anthology feel. But uh, but something about it just made me go, that's a horror movie. I was creep. It was creepy. It was fun to watch and be creeped out by it. I think if you wanted to watch something along this line, I would go with Carpenter's uh, The Prince of Darkness. Okay. It, it takes place in a church. It's got its creepiness. It's got its, you know, is it the devil? Is it what? I think that's a much more entertaining film. This one just did not work for me. All right. Yeah. No, and it, it, like I said, I wouldn't call it a great film, but uh, I, I enjoyed its creepy factor. So. All righty. Next is one of my personal favorites. Uh, 1997's The Cube, or actually just Cube. Um, Six total strangers awaken to find themselves in a cubicle maze. They have to work together using their given skills and talents to survive the deadly traps which guard many of the colored cubic rooms. This film is just awesome. I mean... What I love most, and we, this is a low-budget horror film. It's all psychological for the most part. But what effects they do have, they they had to have spent their entire <laughs> budget on the opening <laughs> yeah. scene. Because you get the unknown character that wanders into a room and a trap gets sprung and something happens, and it's not entirely clear what happened until you see that he starts disassembling into little bits and cubes. And that from there, that is the only true, like, gross moment in the whole film. I mean, there, yeah, there's a melty face. I was going to say, the guy gets his face melted off with an acid spray. I think that counts. That's not that's not bad, but this one was really visceral. Right. Um, and we didn't know the characters, so it, the, the, it just sets a tone. But then the the uh, the real the real genius of it is when the groups of when the people start coming together and how they just start turning on each other <laughs> because no one understands what's going on and what your mind does to you in that situation is just, they did an amazing job. Yep. This is probably the first time that I had watched this film since it first came to home video or since the first time since I, I discovered it on home video. So it's been quite a while. But I remembered the film watching it the first time. I, I remember it leaving quite the impression on me it, to the point where it was like, well, I don't need to watch that film again because, you know, I remember it. And <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, there was a lot that I still remembered and it's still, mm -hmm. that impression was not wrong. You know, the, you always, like you were talking about you know, the legend of Sleepy Hollow, how you look back on it fondly and then, you know, you watch it now and you're like, oh, well, that's not that great. <laughs> Cube is not that. That is not the case with Cube. I I remember no. it fondly, and it still holds up. It's a really great film. I think it of all of the films I've seen from Vincenzo Natale, this has got to be probably my favorite and probably one of his best. It, it sticks with you. It haunts you. It's just an amazing film. Mm -hmm. Now here's one. This is one I kept hinting at as we were talking about April Fool's Day. Mm -hmm. Cabin in the Woods from 2012. 
Five friends go for a break at a remote cabin, where they get more than they bargain for as they are systematically sacrificing the method of many horror movie tropes to appease the old ones to prevent them from destroying the earth. I walked into this film, I saw it in the theater. Somehow, I was under the impression that this was going to be a legitimate, again, you know, horror movie. Mm-hmm. And... It took me a while watching the film before it really clicked. Oh, wait a minute. This is kind of a parody or kind of, I don't know what exactly you would call this film, but it just, it kind of just messed with my head and I kind of went in expecting and kind of wanting a certain type of film. And when it Mm -hmm. wasn't it, I was like, uh, I don't really care for this one that much watching it how about now yeah going in with a definitely with a little bit better mindset yes i enjoyed this film a lot more than i did the first time i watched it i still kind of find myself sitting on the outside where so many people think this is like a really fantastic film and i i think it's a good film see i i I sit on that other team um i love this film i love the notion of all of the horror tropes are total. They're manufactured to exist on purpose. So all the horror movies that you have ever seen before could have easily been that year's appeasing of the gods. <laughs> I mean, the notion that, yes, all of the silly things that we have gone through and the fact that people behave in a certain way, they drugged the characters. Mm-hmm. So that they would behave in their more extreme and caricature versions of themselves. Because that's what entertains the gods. Um, right up to the point of their horrible and gruesome deaths. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, oh, I'm going to forget his name. I, I, the, the, the two guys that were running the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from Bradley Whitford, uh, Hadley. Yeah, Bradley Whitford. Him in particular, because I know know him from the West Wing and, and all the other things that he's been in, like Get Out. He just he just straight he's just so funny just being him. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I can't help but even giggle now thinking of how he died because they run the office pool on how, <laughs> how these how the kids are going to choose their demise. And every year he wants to put it on merman. Right. Because <laughs> he wants to see a merman, and that's how he goes out of the film. <laughs> so it's funny, but it's also terrifying. They do such a good job with the effects and the amount of different kinds of characters that they get. Yeah. It's just the, the mayhem at the end of the movie when all of it just unravels. <laughs> just too much fun. I wish I had gone into this thing in the theater knowing or, or not under the impression it was going to be something that it it was not. And I think maybe maybe even now I, I would have a different opinion on it. I just whatever reason that moment and just colored my entire opinion of the film and I can't seem to shake it. 
Yeah, you thought you were going into seeing the start of a new franchise like Friday the 13th, uh, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever. Right. Any of the lines where that and it, what this did is it turned it on its ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and normally that's the kind of thing that I'd absolutely be all up for. But for some reason, this just just <laughs> going in like that, I just it colored my impression of this film, and I just haven't been able to shake it entirely. Maybe it's a maybe it's one that needs repeat viewings. You know, it, I I did better with it this time than I did the first time I saw it. So maybe I need to just keep watching it. And, and maybe watch it with somebody that already has that feeling. You know, when we can do that kind of thing. Again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, we are in the home stretch now. And this one's also one of my personal favorites, The Mist, 2007. A freak storm, or was it something else, unleashes a species of bloodthirsty creatures on a small town where a small band of citizens hole up in a supermarket and fight for their lives. And that synopsis is good but it doesn't give justice to this film it um, it on, yeah it honestly doesn't i had not watched this one before this was a first time watch for me and i was not expecting anything quite that intense uh i'm glad i was able to start this one a little early <laughs> so i could end the night on something a little bit more happier and fluffier <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and I am sorry if I didn't set a, <laughs> an expectation <laughs> for you for the, uh Yeah, this is a, I want out my, everything about my body says, everything I saw was just horribly wrong, but that's what makes this effective. And everyone, everybody, that every time you or I posted when we watched this, I, I dare you to count it up. This movie got the most amount of um, of responses from those of uh, those out there that listen to us or pay attention to us in any way because yes. this hits on every mark and everybody hates the ending. Not because they hate the movie or because it's a bad ending. It's because it's a it makes you just feel like killing yourself. <laughs> yeah, it it's a, it's a downer. And, the sh- and as everybody has uh, asserted on for me since I had cl- mentioned, I had never read the source content. So, and apparently the source content ends way different. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot more questioning and also not quite as grim. Like I said, it was just, it was very intense. I think, you know, the cast was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was fun. It was like a proto Walking Dead. <laughs> this is this is how The Walking Dead should have started. <laughs> Just half the cast was in the thing. <laughs> well, you know, The Walking Dead does, Dead does capture that relentless nothing. Everything is bleak all the time. Quality of the mist. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I can't say enough good things about this. Uh, and this has all those psychological implications that Cube had. Um, that 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 ease of our ability that in a situation where we don't know what's going on and we're completely out of control and things are there to murder us, um, we will feed off of each other in a heartbeat. I've saw it in a couple places that Stephen King, out of all the films that have been based on any of his short stories or novels or whatever, he was really impressed with this one. 
and actually found this to be like one of the best. And there he actually says, take this for what you will. I saw it on the internet that he actually, he jumped at a couple of spots (laughs) and you know, that, that to director Frank Darabont was like the greatest compliment (laughs) that he could have been given. You scared Stephen King. (laughs) Yeah. I, I was talking about the walking dead. You know, Frank Darabont was the, one of the first showrunners of the walking dead, I think for the first season. Oh, nice. And when you see how this movie is, he's kind of like, wow, what would have happened to The Walking Dead had Frank Darabont stayed on? Right. Uh, maybe maybe I would have kept watching that show a lot longer than I did. <laughs> Perhaps, but one of the things that ended The Walking Dead for me was just its sheer relentless pain. <laughs> so, so I don't know. <laughs> There is apparently a The Mist, the series. All right. I'm not sure how you can do that. I don't know either, but because of my love for this, I'm actually tempted to give it a shot. So, but I doubt it can capture the uh, the the level of awesome that this thing is. I mean, the yeah. effects are amazing. The creatures are nightmarish. Um, the things that happen to these people and what they do to each other and then that ending. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> No, it, it it was a hell of a thing. I'm so glad I finally got a chance to watch this one. Glad it's been know. on the it's been on the to watch list for, well, it came out in 07, so 13 years. <laughs> it's been on the to watch list, and I never got around to it. I'm really happy I did. All right, another one that was been on, kind of like on the to watch list. Finally, yeah. finally got it. Chalked this one off too. Ten Cloverfield Lane from 2016. After her car is run off the road, Michelle wakes to find herself in an underground bunker. The bunker's owner, a survivalist named Howard, claims he has saved Michelle not only from the obvious car crash, but also from an indistinguishable airborne toxic threat that has rendered the air unbreathable and the earth uninhabitable. Could Howard be telling the truth, or is this mysterious or even hypothetical danger a deceitful pretense for something far more sinister? I think there is a good movie in here. I think there's actually several good movies in this. This I described as the visual representation of a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. You are far harsher on this one than I will ever be. <laughs> it starts out, and it you get this thing almost like a psychological horror. Mm-hmm. You know, is what's happening what Howard says is happening? What's going on? And then it's answered very rather quickly. Okay, yep, there's something out there, and you need to stay in the bunker. So now it becomes a different kind of film. All right, okay. Now we got the the isolation. That's fine. Then it changes into like a murder mystery, and then it changes into a a uh, film. I, what's a good description for it? Where you have to you know you have to fight for your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, film. And then it turns into an alien invasion movie. And I'm all for mixing genres, but mix them. Don't just keep changing the genre. Ah, <laughs> uh, but see that what you're what you're describing is the thing that takes you out of it is what kept me in it. I liked how it just kept unfolding each and every. Every every scene becomes a different kind of take on it. The starting from this is a woman running from her life, running from her life, um, 
she gets thrust into this. I, I mean, it actually comes out rather tidy because by going through this, the character of Michelle, she actually grows and changes as a result of this. But then, yes, all the genre bending is one of the things I love the most because it's kind of like, because like you point out, you get the, uh, you get the survivalist and the almost Hitchcockian style where is he deranged? Is he not? Has he saved her? Is he keeping her? It's kind of a little of both. This one, one of the things, and I, I'm all over the map too, but it's part of what I like about this film is it is a little all over the map. It's like life unfolding. It's smacking you all the time with its new ch new direction. But one of the things that I really like, is I keep thinking of the, the notion that you're only paranoid until you're until you're like you're a paranoid guy until you're right um so this guy is absolutely paranoid he's making his his bomb shelter because he is a nut job but he's a nut job that ended up being right <laughs> he just didn't know what he was right about and in the meantime yes you get all the the craziness that goes on mary mary elizabeth winstead love her so much in the transition from everything that's going on in the bunker she escapes she thinks he's full of shit because the air is fine to breathe and all that she's gonna make her escape and that's when she sees the uh, alien craft that's dropping the beast that's about to chase after her, and the just the holy shit moment. <laughs> what the hell just happened? I literally frying pan to fire moment. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I'm sorry. I, yes, it is chaotic. Yes, it changes genres all the way through, but it's a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear you, and I know uh, Dave Minkus, who um, who commented on, on the post at some point, mentioned that he... Uh, he just felt like uh, once he realized that it was like going to crazy town, he just went for the ride. And I, I, I feel like that's just making excuses for a, a poor script. I, I just, I don't, I don't think it, yeah, this one just didn't work for me. I mean, it's John Goodman. I'll watch him in damn near anything. Right. And I actually found him rather effective in all of this. Oh, absolutely. No, he, believe me, he, I, this is not the first time I've seen him play someone that's a, a bit unhinged, and so it's always awesome. Uh, it's fun to see uh, Ramona Flowers again. <laughs> <laughs> John Gallagher Jr. played Emmett. He seemed like someone that I recognized, but damned if I know from where. It wasn't anything. I couldn't find anything. But, yeah, it's a great cast. I just... I, I don't know. They... I think it's just because of the way that it was, like I said, it wasn't a blend of genres. It was just, it's this kind of movie, and then it wasn't. And then it's this kind of movie, and then it isn't. And then it's this kind of movie, and now it's not. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like there should have been a better way to try to blend it rather than just start and stop it. Oh, and uh, for Emmett, uh, have you seen the Belko experiment? I don't believe so, no. Okay, he's in that as well. That's okay. a, that's one we'll have to do sometime. All right. All right, and then to wrap it up. Yep. <laughs> this one was even going to be... Uh, th this was our switch hitter one because we were going to make signs our well, part of our 31 since we did the show in the middle of October. Mm -hmm. um, 
but both of us managed to still squeeze this in. So this is our official 31st movie. We saw Pulse from 1988. A visiting son tries to warn his father and stepmother that they are being menaced by a living and intelligent pulse of electricity that moves from house to house and terrorizes the residents therein. And I think... Go ahead. No, because I think we're about to say uh, this was actually pretty damn good. It really was. I found this to be a actually really effective little film. I think I think it's a great premise. It keeps it all like grounded within our world. Uh-huh. Uh, grounded, pardon the pun. Ah. <laughs> um, there's nothing too outrageous, which keeps the scares kind of you know well scary. Mm-hmm. I was really when I read the 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 initial synopsis on this one. Again, this was one of these, you know, 80s horror films. And this came up, and it was talking about electricity killing people. And I'm like, I was waiting for hand mixers drilling in people's heads or uh, microwaves uh, melting people's faces off or something like that. Uh, This is one where, yeah, I went in with expectations, and I, for whatever reason, this one, you know, didn't meet those expectations, but it ended up working better for me. It's yeah. odd with me. I, I'll admit that I sound a little uneven because <laughs> I, I say I walk in with an expectation and that that it's not met and it, it colors the film for me. <laughs> this one actually, for whatever reason, it worked for me. I thought this one was really good. It, it was, and, and well, not that this says much for Joey Lawrence, but uh, um, this was impressive, uh, I mean, Joey is young. Uh, this is one of her, his younger roles, and then his little brother's in it as well. Um, but uh, he was amazing as this kid in, in this. I'm like, I, I was dumbfounded because I'm used to the goofy Joey Lawrence kid, or just the Whoa. Super, yeah, or the super <laughs> cute version of Joey Lawrence. And as the son of a divorced couple struggling with, uh, and, and I, I can't help but live this a little, being a, a a divorced father with a son that bounces back and forth from his mother and I. Happily, we're not as dysfunctional as, uh, <laughs> as what Joey Lawrence's character went through in this. But, uh, but yeah, that this was very much about the angst of what he has to go through going from one family to the other comfortable, more comfortable in one home than another. And because it's his father's home that he's not comfortable in the fact that this crazy thing is happening and he can't be believed because they're more concerned that he's just not happy there. So he's making up stories (laughs) Right. About what's happening, that they're not hearing him. And then, yes, like you point out, uh, this entity, this whatever it is that's doing this, is doing real world ways of uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, like these are extreme versions of what could happen in your home. Right. So, <laughs> it was just it was a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, no, me either. I was expecting a little, something a lot more cheesier. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this kind of a quiet release. I, I don't remember most of these films, like April Fool's Day, some of these other 80 horrors films. Like I said, you remember seeing the cover boxes sure. on the video store shelf. Mm-hmm. This is not one of them. This is one that seemed like it came and went and 
I don't know where it went. This would have hit on the shelf of your uh, of the blockbuster because a lot of what the other ones have going for them is at least even if it wasn't there, there's the hint of possible TNA. <laughs> Because that's yeah, the possibly. that is the trope of an '80s horror movie. Is right. you're, you're gonna get a little bit of boob action <laughs> in normal '80s, and this is not that. No, um, no, you kind of maybe sort of see a little bit when mom gets uh, scalded in the shower. She, she, you can see maybe kind of see a breast get pressed <laughs> against the glass, but yeah, but that's not the moment you're looking for. <laughs> no. <laughs> And she is not the 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 yeah, the, the stepmom is not the, the the sex object you're shooting for in an '80s film, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not the uh, there's not red bombshell neighbor or something or the <laughs> the trophy wife across the street or anything like that. But yeah, and I couldn't help but giggle seeing Joey Lawrence's little brother in yeah. this, just playing the the cute kid on the block that he's hanging out with because there's just not that many other kids to hang out with. And that was a nice little find. That that was mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah, that was probably the the most surprising one maybe for me on the list. Bubba Hotep was my favorite, but this was probably the one that surprised me the most. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, like you, I, I squeezed this one in because we we lost count at some point not having fully counted signs. So, um, yeah, I, this was this one I can say I literally watched this second to last. Yep, very good. Well, it, it was a fun month. It was. This is not something I could do every month, but when <laughs> October rolls around... Um, yeah, I think we'll have to start kind of just accumulating a list, see what we can come up with for, for next year. And please, all of you listening, uh, help us build that list. It's the ones we don't know about that are mm-hmm. some of the most fun. Because you and I are always going to have our favorites. We're going to have the ones that we try to surprise each other with, but it's what we don't know and then we get to experience together that can be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So you've you've heard us talk about these films, and if there's anything that you think that we might we should check out based on what we thought on the films that we talked about here tonight, uh, please let us know. Fire us an email, timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or come to the Facebook group and comment on any any post there or start your own whatever. Love to hear from you. Absolutely. Come hang out, share. So this has been a long episode of the Time Shifters podcast. We thank you for sticking with us. So I think we will say goodnight. It is getting late. It is time for bed. Absolutely. <laughs> Tom, thanks so much for, for joining me on this, uh, this journey this year. This was way more fun than we deserve to have. So <laughs> I, I'm happy to see it end just so that I can clear my head again. But yeah. we have to do this again. Yeah, uh, and we will be back on our regular schedule here from uh, here on out, I think. So we'll talk to you again in another couple weeks. So until then, talk to you later, everybody. Bye. See ya.